Hey there, Conquerors, and welcome to episode 103 of the Conquering Columbus podcast. This is Mike here, and I recently had the opportunity to speak on the Business of Podcasting panel at Startup Week Columbus. And if there's one thing I noticed, it's that a lot of people out there are interested in starting their own podcast, but aren't sure where to start. So we've decided to put together a podcast startup package with everything we've learned about building and growing a podcast to help you get there. You can pre-register for the Conquering Columbus podcast startup package now by heading over to our website, conqueringcolumbus.com. I hope you guys enjoy this episode, and as always, we hope you learn a lot. Before we get to that interview, though, I want to ask you all for a quick favor. If you haven't already, pick up your phone and hit that subscribe button on whatever podcast app you're listening on. It really helps support our show, and it'll make sure you never miss a single episode of Conquering Columbus. We also want to take a moment to thank some of our supporters. Conquering Columbus is brought to you in part by the Sundown Group. The Sundown Group is an Ohio-based nonprofit that helps connect entrepreneurs to investors, mentors, talent, and capital through business pitch events, workshops, and classes offered throughout the state. And for more information, head on over to sundownfirst.org. And our last sponsor is Facilities Management Express, or FMX for short. FMX is actually founded and headquartered here in Columbus, Ohio. They're a startup software company. What's really cool about them is a lot of competitors in this space, but they made a name for themselves by designing an easy-to-use and tailored-fit facilities maintenance and management software. They serve industries ranging from churches and schools to property management, manufacturing, and fast casual restaurants. You can learn more or check out a free trial at gofmx.com. Mike here again. Do you want to be a sponsor of Conquering Columbus? We are looking for some new supporters to help keep the show going in 2018. To inquire about how you can help support the podcast, please send an email to mike at conqueringcolumbus.com. All right, Conquerors, let's get the show on the road. You could drop me anywhere on the planet in any environment, and I might get you know my head kicked in in the beginning, but I'll find a way to survive. I'll find a way to get the job done. Yeah, there's a little doubt, but you know what? Once again, I think of that guy in my ear. I think about stepping up to the stage. I think about the challenge. Like, I've lost sometimes, but I've won more than I've lost. And so, like, I bet on me any day. Choosing greatness. Greatness doesn't choose you. You know, you have to choose it. And, you know, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus. Hey there, Conquerors, and welcome to another episode of Conquering Columbus. Today on the show, we have Carrie Boyd. And Carrie is a principal and the director of interior design at M&A Architects in Grandview. And Carrie has many previous years of experience in the design industry. And as the director of interior design, she has a wide range of responsibilities, including sourcing materials for sustainable builds, staying on top of industry trends, and working directly with clients, amongst others. Uh, she also happens to be an Ohio State graduate, and we are very excited to have her here <laughs> on the show today. Thank you. Welcome to Conquering Columbus, Carrie. Thank you very much. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, and we're excited to have you here on the show, and, and you guys are right next door to us here at the FMX offices in Grandview, so it wasn't too bad of a trip, I hope. Yeah, it was a long commute. <laughs> <laughs> so how's your day been so far? It has been a whirlwind, like most days, but good. And Exciting. 
Absolutely. And you say a whirlwind. So, I mean, do you have a typical day? Or? No. Okay. <laughs> no, there is no typical about my day ever. I think the only common thread in my day is listening, being a good listener. I think that's the one thing that gets me through every day is listening and responding. Today was more of a learning day for me. I spent the first half of my day in a risk management seminar, which you might think is boring, but for me, it's something that helps me push our company forward. So that was really interesting. And then I transitioned to a meeting with CBRE and how workplace trends are changing every day, all day. And then now I'm here with you. So that's been my day so far. Before we dive too much into all the things you have going on today, we usually just like to start back beginning, maybe talk about your childhood a little bit and then your path to, you know, up to where you are today. So yeah. um, maybe we could talk about, you know, what your parents did, siblings, where you grew up and all that good stuff and then kind of grow from there. Way back train. Okay, so um, grew up in Aurora, Ohio, which is southeast of Cleveland, about 45 minutes. Small town, um, graduated with about 80 80 people, so really small community. I have one brother who's older, he's about three and a half years older than I am, who is probably one of my best friends in life, gets me more than anyone else does. Mom and dad, I would say, dad, well dad's labor worker, so he's a mechanic, and uh, mom is in a collection, so she's probably more the business side of things, but that's probably where my combination of hands-on and the business side come together. And I, I guess I would add to that, the thing that probably has affected my life most is when we decided to build our house, when my parents decided to build our house growing up. So my dad being a mechanic is someone that just has been able to do anything throughout life and decided to create drawings for a house. And, and we actually were part of that process. So dad let me believe that I was designing my own room and building it, which I know now is probably 10% true, but it, at the time I believed it, so it was great. And brother Jim was part of that process as well. So yeah, I, I feel like I'm really close with my family and each one of them have played a very specific role in creating the person that I am today. How did you end up at Ohio State? Great question. So attached to my family, I am. I feel like Yoda when I just said that. But I'm attached to them and didn't want to be too far away, but also as I said, grew up in a really small community and my graduating class was very small and I hate gossip and I hate clicks. And I felt like I just needed to be in a larger community where I could meet different types of people in different groups and just be more div diverse. And so Ohio State for me was the perfect blend of all of those things. Did you visit other colleges, or was that the uh, I did. Um, I did. I looked into Miami and OU, mostly Ohio schools, Kent, OU, Miami, and was accepted, but uh, ultimately Ohio State was the right decision for me for many reasons. The design program, its proximity to home, how, I don't know how to say this, unclicky it felt. I felt like there was just a, a larger purpose. Yeah, and that larger purpose is definitely something that Josh and I talk about a lot, and I think it's important for any human to have a larger purpose in life. But um, I kind of want to talk about what drew you into design specifically. And you mentioned earlier, you know, your father helping you, letting you as a child kind of help think that you were designing your room, maybe 10% true. But um, do you think that had any impact on the direction you decided to take later? 100%, yeah. It, which is funny because when I started off, I was undecided major for two years was sitting in it I took a design class because I was interested in it and one day I they were talking about 
the application into the design program and what you needed to do and what the program was all about and it just something clicked in me and I felt like everything that had led up to that point was this is what I should do why, why aren't I doing this prior to that I thought well maybe I should be a chef I do love to cook anything really creative where there's I'll say instant gratification even though today it's not really that instant but being able to see what your mind is creating in a physical form so that process going through that as a child and having hands-on experience building with my family and being able to create that's one thing my parents are great about is you think something you can create it you can do it so my mom was the person when I saw something in the store because maybe we couldn't afford it she would say and I don't know if that was actually the reason or not but she would always say look at this you can build it we can create this like why would we buy this if we can make it ourselves so at some point in time that became a story that I resented I don't want to make it I just want to buy it but now I really appreciate the fact that she pushed me in a way that made me think about how that thing was built instead of just wanting that instant gratification of buying it and having it it was the work up to and trying to figure out the mechanics of the thing whatever that thing was there has been a lead up in many different aspects of my life on why I am in the place that I'm in because of my family yeah it's a unique mindset too to kind of instill in a child is more of like a growth mentality and that you can kind of create things rather than have to be trapped into certain avenues of, you know, you have to purchase this. Or it doesn't just relate to buying that item, I feel like. I kind of see like this big, more philosophical back end of that. But maybe oh, I'm going, sure. going too deep on my end. But um, what exactly did you study in Ohio State? And then when you graduated, let's talk about your path up until M&A. So I was a Bachelor of Science in Design. And so to specifically, what did I study specifically? I don't know if that's answering your question or, or you want more to dive in. Yeah, I mean, it's as granular as you want to get, I guess. So uh, studio life as a design student, um, it is big theory and you spend all hours of your day in studio trying to create a thing. And so it's all about collaboration and how do we accomplish this task? And it's, it's never in school about budget. It's never about what you're dealing with today, which is budgets and schedules. It's all about theory and big picture. And so I feel like most of my career in school, that's what the mentality was. And then there's a, a shock when you get out of school. Oh, there's all these other factors. How do I solve for all of this? Graduating and, and feeling, I think, I don't know if everyone feels this way or maybe I, I'm sure I'm not the only person, but you feel unprepared you graduate with this degree and you're so proud and I've accomplished all this and you feel like I was top of my class and I'm going to get a great job and you just instantly feel like I have no idea what I'm doing I don't know the first person I should reach out to to find a job I don't know what the right career path should be for me I just am going to send my resume out to every human I know and hope that something sticks so I did that and the first job out of school was with an architectural firm here in town who was a very classical architecture firm who focused on mostly schematic design, upfront work, and I guess aligned mostly with the, the theory of what I learned in school. And I was really able to hone in on those design skills and client interaction skills because that firm wasn't necessarily as tuned into the construction document process and the end result, it was more about the art of design. And so I learned a ton and was instantly put into situations where I was outside my comfort zone, which I think now is my like motto, like push yourself. Even right now, I'm uncomfortable, just so everyone knows. You, can, you can't answer <laughs> that question. That's our last question. Oh, 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 sorry. To, oh sorry. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But um, 
But it is, that was a really uncomfortable position because they had never had an interiors person on staff before and they didn't even know really what to do with me, but I was enthusiastic and I was gonna do anything it took to, to get the job done. So I learned a lot about architecture and even though I was an interior design major, I sat there with my little architectural dictionary and every time someone told me to do something, I would just say yes and then I would look up what, what does a parapet mean? What does this mean? How do I detail this? And luckily I had some great mentors at that firm, but it really, I think, pushed me forward in my career. Now, had I not had that experience to start, I don't think I would be as comfortable in the meetings that I'm involved with today. How long did you stay there? About four years. Okay. And then through that process, did you have aspirations like long-term to do something different or run a firm or do something bigger? Or was it you were just kind of enjoying the process and seeing what happens? I wish I could sit here right now and say, I have always been a driven person and I knew I was going to own a firm and I've always wanted to do X, Y, and Z. But I don't know. I found that I'm not as confident in myself as I maybe should be. And I have this picture of what I want, what I want to be, not what I want to accomplish, but what I want to be. So no, I never, I never thought sitting there, like I'm here doing this because I want to do this and I want to do this. I just wanted to do my best regardless of where I was. I really enjoy the process of working with people and clients and connecting. And so that's the thing that I think has carried me through my career is regardless of what platform, I don't know if that's the right way to say, but what platform I'm in, it's for me about connecting with people and understanding the why behind the thing that we're doing. So I don't know, drop me somewhere else. I, 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 it doesn't really matter what I'm trying to accomplish. It's just the connection with the person I'm working with. Definitely. And so do you think that that architectural knowledge, I guess if that's the correct term for it, that, that you gained uh, at, at that role was was one of the biggest benefits? Or do you think it was more just the ability to sit somewhere where you don't really feel comfortable doing what you're doing and be able to pick it up quickly? Like what, what do you think the biggest takeaway from that, that career or that role was? I don't, while I think the architectural knowledge has certainly helped my career, I think you could learn that just about anywhere. I don't think that's really what it was. And I don't know that even though it was my first job out of school, I don't know that that's really the thing that's propelled my career most. I think it is more about putting yourself in uncomfortable situations. And um, it's I, probably, I think it's more common to think um, I'm not capable than I'm more capable, if that makes sense. So in any in any step of my career, I've always felt like, gosh, I don't know if I'm ready. I don't know if I'm, I'm quite prepared. And, and even leaving each firm, thinking about what the next firm does, and that's outside of what I feel I'm comfortable with. It'd be way easier to stay where I'm at and just keep doing this thing. But where is that going to get me? And so it's just that inner voice that's always said, like, just go. It's uncomfortable, but just go do it. And that's the thing that has, I think, propelled me most out of any actual skill that I've learned at a, any position. And how does your path evolve after the four years in that position? Where do you go from there? And uh, So I went to another small firm. So I guess before I was there, I worked at two larger firms as an intern, and then larger firms in town. So that's like 50 to 100, medium to large size firm. And um, that was a great experience, but it's a very different experience than working for the firm that then I moved to, which was 10 of us. And so everyone in that scenario has to do everything. I have to know how to market. 
I have to help with proposals. I have to know how to design. I have to know how to do the construction piece. I had to be able to go to construction OEC meetings. So that, I guess, to go back to your question, that's probably a really valuable piece out of working for a smaller firm is getting to learn all parts of the business. And then from there, I went to another smaller company, but with a very different mindset, less about just the design upfront stuff, but more holistic design. You know, there's positives and negatives everywhere you are in life. And so I could focus on the negatives probably everywhere, but that's just not what I what I ever will do. So the positives out of that firm, I think, were just that holistic approach and looking at it from a client's lens instead of from a designer's lens, which is my previous firm was just like the proportions aren't right and why would you? And But from a client's lens, how many people on this planet actually understand those proportions and understand um, I'm spending $200,000 on this one decision, but for why? So I went there and, and through working with that firm, I was introduced to a developer. Um, actually, that's not true. The first job I was introduced to this developer, I took them to my second job and they happened to do a lot of work with MA. And so through that position, I um, met some people that still work at MA and they were looking for someone to lead their interiors group and just sort of pulled me in and said, we're looking for someone to do this and are you interested? And again, it was one of those, I'm comfortable here, but this is an exciting opportunity and something that they that doesn't currently exist. And if I'm not going to own my own company, this would be a really great opportunity to sculpt something and seems like it's a really supportive group with an entrepreneurial spirit. So I, I jumped and that's, that's why I'm at MA. So it sounds like, you know, some interesting um, pieces throughout your story. You met someone and in, in developed meaningful relationships early on that ended up paying off later down the road and then had like a well-rounded experience through your different career. You spent four years at the one position. What are the what does this time span look uh, about like? About the same, actually. And okay. now with MA, it's um, 11. Okay. So you walked in and you took the head of their interior design division. Mm-hmm. And then how does your career grow once you evolve in that position? I'm fortunate that the leadership at MA is very open-minded. And hopefully I continue that spirit on as a new leader at MA. But the mentor for me in this position has been our current president, Mark Daniels, who always saw something in me that I, I don't think I did or maybe even still do, but just said, do, go. I would have an idea and want to do something, and he would just say, just go, make it happen. And I guess looking back at it from his perspective, there wasn't a strong department. Actually, the department that existed before, I think, if you could call it a department, had some pretty major challenges, and so... I was raring to go and excited to create some new thing, and I think they were begging for some new blood, and so it was the perfect marriage in a, in a way, and they gave me a lot of rope, and probably within the first year, I think I felt like, I don't know, when I dive in, I'm all in, so this then became like my family, and every decision that I make was, how do I make this company better? And and I wasn't just looking at the interior department, but I see this thing over here and we're not branding ourselves the right way. We should be doing this. And then somehow I became in charge of rebranding our company. And then there's this thing. And I think we could be doing this better. So really, I think it's less about less about me and more about the rope that was given to me. You know, if you're at the right company with the right mindset who allows you to grow and wants you to grow then it's easier to find your path which I don't think is a as common of a thing as I would hope it is 
I think I was just really fortunate to have a company that just was willing to support and let me grow the way that was best for me. So I think there's kind of, you know, two elements to that too. There's a company that has the mindset that'll allow you to do that, but then the person who has the mindset where they're able to get their current role done, then also take on those additional responsibilities and be successful. What was your work-life balance and, you know, your path through during that time? Were you working a lot to try to capture all that you had to get done or was there balance there? I think having work-life balance is a constant struggle. If you are someone that is passionate about your company and your career, I think it is always a constant struggle. I hear um, so many people talk about how important work-life balance is. And it's funny, I just came off of a conversation about generation, so I feel like it's fresh in my mind. But it's discussed so often. So for, for everyone, I'm a Gen Xer, which puts me right in the middle of our five generations. What is beneficial for me, I think, and that is I, I feel sometimes like a liaison between both sides, and I can, I can understand and have compassion around what both people are saying. So I can talk to a traditionalist or a baby boomer who's like, you just work like balance. What's that? <laughs> you just work. That's what you just, you get it done. There's no work-life balance. And then the millennial Gen Zer who's saying, I want to have experiences outside of work and I'd like to work from home and I want flexibility. And I'm going on a little bit of a tangent. I'm sorry, but I feel like that perspective it's, it's helped me try to create a better work-life balance for myself because I, I'm able to see both sides and talk to both the traditionalists who I really respect for the career path that they've had and how they've become successful. And I also really respect the Gen Zers, millennials, who have the compassion and, and passion around their life and they're passionate. I don't know how to explain it. Being a, being a mom, so I have a son who is in third grade and... Well, gosh, I know a lot of super successful people that have four or five kids, so I feel like I'm, I can't really talk because I only have one, but it is still a balance. You know, how sometimes I feel like I'm not a good enough mom, and sometimes I feel like I'm not a good enough to my staff, and I need to put more work in here and more work in here. But I, I, sometimes I think it, it doesn't really matter how much I give. I'm always going to feel like I'm not giving enough, and that's sometimes really great. And I'm glad I'm that way. And sometimes I hate that I'm that way at the same time. So work-life balance, I don't know that I'll ever have it. I feel like my work is my life. My life is my work. And I'm constantly, like my son now talks about MA, like it's part of his family. And it's just all intertwined. And some people might think that's a negative. But I would rather, my work-life balance is making work my life in a in a healthy way so that's backwards to a lot of people because they need separation but for me i'd rather go to work and feel like it's my family and i love talking to these people and being surrounded by these people and so it doesn't feel like i'm going to work so that's my justification in my brain of my work-life balance right and i think you know there's a difference between so when we talk about work-life balance i think that a lot of millennials a lot of anybody that goes to work doesn't necessarily enjoy it, you know, and someone who's looking for a real heavy work-life balance is probably going to work every day thinking, and I don't want to put words in people's mouths, yeah. so there's people out there that aren't this way, but a lot of people go to work and they don't enjoy it or they feel like it's tedious and not mm -hmm. something they enjoy doing, so mm -hmm. it's tough to, to balance that out when you when you enjoy it and you're passionate about it and you want to do it when you get home. Yeah. So that's the, I think, the conundrum there, but where I want to go from here is talk a little bit about 
how your role has changed in the past 11 years? Do you have, has your team changed underneath mm-hmm. you? Mm-hmm. And can you, can you talk us through that process? So when I started at MA 10, 11 years ago, it was me and one other person. And then soon after that, we went through our economic downturn, and then it was just me. And so it was up to me to build a department. So I guess how it's changed over the years is it, it was me to start, and it started and ended with me. And so I was not only marketing, but I was doing the production work and all of it. And, and the people all around me said, you need to hire someone. And I was the last person to say, I need to hire someone, but thankfully I was surrounded by great people who recognized that I was doing too much and said, it's time. And they trusted me to hire that person, which was a really big deal now seeing how I do a lot of the hiring for MA. So man, I'm really glad that I had the opportunity to do that hiring on my own because the team that I feel like I've created now within just the interiors group and even outside that now because I do hiring for um, more than just the interiors group, it is so much about um, about connection and personality and less about skill set. Not that we want someone with no skill set, but that's a lot easier thing to train and to learn. It's a lot harder to train soft skills. How are you going to deal with a client? If you're faced with a tough situation, are you going to be able to sit face-to-face with the client and have a conversation and not back down or not be inappropriate? or so? I don't know. For me, that's the, been the biggest change in my career in building the department. And now I'm at a place where our group is 11 people and I'm a lot less in the weeds. Luckily, they still ask me questions about design because that's really where my passion is. Super fortunate. I have such an awesome team who they're all extremely talented, but more so than being extremely talented, they all get along and love working together. And that makes it even more fun for me to be part of that team yeah, the biggest change is just giving up, I think, like understanding that you have to lose some control in, in order to um, get further. Not personally, but as a company, you have, to, you have to give up control over sometimes the things you love. For me, it's design. I, it's hard for me to back away from conversations when I'm involved in sculpting something. To give away a huge project that I know would be completely fun to be part of to my team it's a hard thing for me to do, but then there's just pride in seeing what they've accomplished and I'm able to spend my time on other parts of the business, which is also good and ultimately helps grow the company. And I think it I think it makes a lot of sense and I think it's something an aspect that maybe most people who move into like a leadership role kinda of underestimate is from being transactional and working on your passion and then leading people who are working on their passion and then you have to refine passion and leading those people, which I don't know if everybody always does, but they like the leadership title, so they, they try to push it anyways, and that's where you kind of get some conflict, I think. Mm-hmm. But looking forward, what do the goals look like you for you and the team, and you know, what do you see over the next five to ten years? So I would say that as a company, we are really pushing ourselves to be innovative, period. And so what are the things that we can be doing that not only sets us apart from our competition, but truly helps us be a better advocate for our clients? And so what does the next five years look like? You know, for our industry, it is a roller coaster, I think, more so than others, other industries. So three years is an easier plan than five. But I, I don't know. I just I see us diversifying our services more than our sector. So what we've been really great about is recognizing individual expertise within our company. So knowing when somebody has a passion, it goes back to that entrepreneurial spirit of our company. If somebody has a passion around uh, sustainability, for example, 
we really try to support them in that and understand how that can help support our overall company mission in innovation. So, okay, if your individual passion is going to help our company reach their goal, then we need to be behind that and support it. We just need to know that what you're saying you want to do as a passion is going to help us reach that goal. So I think the next five years, um, I hate when people say things like this, but I feel like sky's the limit. We have a bunch of talented people, and I feel like we're at the cusp of something amazing. Uh, Not that we aren't amazing already, but I just feel a different energy right now, and there's more depth to the work that we're doing. It's not designed to be designed. It's designed with purpose, so there's more research behind everything that we're doing, and we've got people who are really passionate about things that past folks in our firm haven't been passionate about, so it's just this different energy and vibe, and I don't know exactly what five years from now looks like, but I know that we will still be strong and I think our culture is one of the things that sets us apart at MA, and I'm only going to be more proud in five years of our culture because I think we breed people like us, which sounds really weird, but I just I feel like we have such an open and transparent culture that people like us want to be with us, so we hire people that are like us and who want to push the limits and want to find out how we can be doing something differently. The one thing, now this isn't like a company mission or anything, but personally, I hate the answer. Well, we're doing it this way because that's the way we've always done it. When we interview clients and we're talking about their spaces and how we're designing their space, sometimes that's an answer, which you have to push that. You can't be doing something just because that's how we've always done it. And I feel the same way about MA. So it's an exciting time with new leadership at MA. I feel like I said before, sky's the limit. And, and speaking of new leadership and, and the way things have always been in particular, this is something that I, you know, Samantha brought to our attention, who happens to be sitting in the room with us over here. In architecture industry, only 19.2% of leadership roles go to women. But at M&A Architects, 50% go to women. So can you talk to us a little bit about how, how that culture is helping to shift ideas in the architecture industry and, and what... How you, how you can continue to push that change. Yeah, so the three women who now are um, partners at M&A, and there's three men who've been partners for, they were part of the second generation, 30 plus years. So one thing I think that women in general bring to the table, and this is a general statement, obviously, but a different level of compassion, I think. So there are things that we discuss that, probably speak more to the cultural piece of our company that the three women think about probably before the men do and not to discount they obviously they have strengths over us but I think that's maybe why it's a good balance the interesting piece about it is that there are three men who have been there for 30 years and then the the three women range in longevity with the company but are the newbies to the partnership group so I don't know that it's necessarily about men and women it's just about how long we've been sitting in the partnership seat. And so fresh blood, regardless, male or female, I think is good for companies. It challenges the way things have been happening and how could we look at it differently. And yes, I realize we've been doing it this way for 30 years, but has that really been successful or are we just staying on our path because it's comfortable? Again, pushing boundaries. So that's what I think the three women do in this partnership. I think and in the industry in general, it's a male-dominated industry, so uh, having a female influence, I think, does open doors for us and brings just a different level of 
leadership and compassion to the company? I think good place to pivot towards one of our last questions, and we've kind of hinted at it earlier, um, but it's centered around the theme of our show, which is live uncomfortably. And without telling you too much about what it means to Josh and I, what do you think of when you hear the phrase, and how can you apply it to your life and career? Well, it's very in line with how I do live my life, so I think I can speak to it pretty well. I don't think I, I think every day I feel like I'm not good enough to be the position I'm in, and I'm always pushing myself. So, okay, I'm asked questions on a regular basis. I am involved in speaking engagements. I, Whatever the case may be, I feel like I'm always pushing myself, and there's this inner voice that just says, I know it's uncomfortable, <laughs> but just you just need to do it. It's going to help yourself grow. I don't know if either of you or anyone in the audience has listened to Darren Daly before, but it's a daily mentoring show that that's really his also mantra is to to push yourself every day and you're amongst greats if you feel like that you're a fraud right that's the perception there's these massively successful people in the world that even they feel like a fraud and that they're not really they don't really know at all but people feel that they do so i don't know i think you, if you're not uncomfortable in in your current seat then you're doing something wrong i think the other piece of that is to put yourself in surround yourself with people that you're uncomfortable with is the wrong way to say it, but who you think are smarter than you. So if I'm gonna surround myself with people that I feel like I'm the smartest one in the room, where is that getting me? I'm not learning anything. I have always found that even though I'm uncomfortable, if I push myself and I surround myself with people that walking into that room, I might be uncomfortable, but I always walk out with, I'm really glad I did that and I'm glad that I met that person and that person might lead to this connection and, and I learned something. I think that should be everybody's. I'm glad that that is your, your motto and it should be everybody's. Well, Carrie, that's a great answer. We, we really appreciate you taking the time to join us on the yeah. show today. I'm happy to be here. I feel like I just rambled a lot, but happy to be here. <laughs> no, it was great. And, and Conquerors, thanks a lot for listening. Hope you guys enjoyed that episode. That's Carrie Boyd. She's a principal and the Director of Interior Design at m and Architects in Grandview. And uh, again, appreciate you guys tuning in. We'll talk to you next week. If you guys enjoyed that episode, check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, as well as iTunes, Pocket Cast, Stitchers, whatever your favorite podcast app is. And go ahead and click that subscribe button. It'll make sure you never miss another episode of Conquering Columbus. Before we let you go, we want to take one last moment to say thanks to all of our incredible sponsors one more time. Conquering Columbus is brought to you in part by the Sundown Group. The Sundown Group is an Ohio-based nonprofit that helps connect entrepreneurs to investors, mentors, talent, and capital through business pitch events, workshops, and classes offered throughout the state. And for more information, head on over to sundownfirst.org. And our last sponsor is Facilities Management Express, or FMX for short. FMX is actually founded and headquartered here in Columbus, Ohio. They're a startup software company. What's really cool about them, there's a lot of competitors in this space, but they made a name for themselves by designing an easy-to-use and tailored-fit facilities maintenance and management software. They serve industries ranging from churches and schools to property management, manufacturing, and fast casual restaurants. You can learn more or check out a free trial at gofmx.com. If you could drop me anywhere on the planet, in any environment and I might get you know my head kicked in in the beginning but I'll find a way to survive I'll find a way to get the job done
yeah, there's a little doubt, but you know what? Once again, I think of that guy in my ear. I think about stepping up to the stage. I think about the challenge. Like, I've lost sometimes, but I've won more than I've lost. And so, like, I bet on me any day. Choosing greatness. Greatness doesn't choose you. You know, you have to choose it. And, yeah, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus.